0: Hello and welcome to Talking About Tumors with Ryan and Ryan. I'm Ryan Holster. And
1: I'm Ryan Quinn.
0: Before we get started, I just want to thank everyone who's been listening so far. And to those of you who have any feedback for us, please send us an email or tweet at us. As uh, We appreciate any feedback and hope to continue making this a better and a useful tool and resource for all of you in the training.
1: So today we'll be talking about localized colon cancer, and we're really going to be going through the standard of care treatments and the evidence for adamant chemotherapy after surgery for localized colon cancer. We're not going to be discussing rectal cancer. That will be a separate talk on its own because it's really treated much differently.
0: When there's suspicion for a malignant disease, whether for, uh, following a diagnostic biopsy or based upon symptoms, workup would inca- include workup would include doing a colonoscopy as well as the CT of the abdomen as one of the highest sites of spread is to the liver. And it's important to rule this out before approaching the disease curatively. Chest imaging is part of the initial workup as well. Although typically we use a CT scan for this, the guidelines state that chest x-ray can be acceptable.
1: So once you have a patient who is diagnosed with colon cancer, if it is determined to be localized, the first treatment is surgical resection.
0: For the sake of this being a medical oncology podcast, we won't go into the various surgical techniques that are available, but we'll mention that there are different approaches depending on the location extent of the disease. Things that we should pay attention to when the patient arrives to us is, first off, did they have a preoperative CEA? This can serve as a quality measure, and for tumors that are elevated in CEA prior to the tumor resection, this may serve as a way to monitor for disease recurrence later on. If the CEA was not elevated in the first place, it's less likely that this will be a useful tool down the road. And
1: by elevated, I think it's a CEA greater than 5. That Mm -hmm. is typically the prognostic measure.
0: On the topic of CEAs, and this is going to be true for all of our tumor markers, there's non-cancerous reasons that tumor markers can be elevated. And for for CEAs, false positive causes can include any cause of GI inflammation, so gastritis, peptic ulcer disease, diabetes. In addition, COPD or smoking can raise CEA as well.
1: So when a patient comes to you in clinic after their surgery, probably one of the most important things you want to look at is the pathology report, as well as confirm on the imaging that there was no evidence of metastatic disease. Most of these patients will have adenocarcinoma. This is by far the most common type of colon cancer, but there are a few other types. For example, there's signet cell carcinoma, which generally confers a worse prognosis. There's also medullary, which tends to have a better prognosis, as well as mucinus, which has... There's not as much evidence on the prognosis and
0: recentness. There's going to be certain aspects of the pathology report that are also going to play a prognostic role. And we'll get into those in a bit more detail when we move into management of stage 2 disease. Ultimately, when a patient is presenting to you in the medical, medical oncology clinic, the question is going to be, is there a role for adjuvant chemotherapy? And first off, the data, data is mostly in support of management for stage 3 disease. So this is disease that has lymph node positivity. So when the surgeon resects the tumor, they're going to be sampling localized lymph nodes. If a single one of these are positive, this is, becomes a stage 3 disease. One kind of unique situation, you may see that there's report of a, a tumor deposit in the serosa or mesentery, and this would be an N1C disease. So although not a positive lymph node, still higher risk and considered stage 3. If the tumor is lymph node negative, the characteristics that would make this a uh, stage 2 is if the invasion of the primary tumor is so through the mesculose propria into the pericolorectal tissue.
1: Now, the staging for colon cancer is the typical TNM staging. Unlike some other cancers where T is significant for the size of the tumor, with colon cancer, the T is actually only determined on the pathology report. The T signifies the depth that the tumor invades into T1 is into the submucosa T2 is the muscularis propria T3 is into the periconic tissues and T4 would be invading through the periconic tissues into an adjacent organ.
0: T4 is broken up into T4A for invading to the viscera and T4B into an adjacent um, organ or structure. In general this is the rule of thumb of invading through a tissue for higher T staging is going to be the case for any tumor that rises within the lumen. So when you talk about bladder cancer, which is within the lumen, colon cancer, which is within the lumen, versus our other tumors such as lung or breast cancer where they're sit within a solid organ where the size of the tumor is going to be more important.
1: So in general, the goal is to look at greater, at least 12 lymph nodes when you're doing sampling. So when you're looking at the pathology report after the patient has surgery, it's important to make sure that the surgeon actually removed and examined that 12 lymph nodes were examined it's less than 12 then the staging can be a little bit tricky and you're not exactly sure how many lymph nodes is actually involved with cancer because you didn't look at too many. So again, the goal is really more than 12.
0: One final practical consideration for these patients as, they're, as you're looking through the pathology report is also to turn your attention to the operative report as well. As part of the surgical approach to these patients, surgeons will take a look at the mesentery momentum and this can be very helpful as you may notice on the Surgical report that they'll mention concern for nodularity or tumor deposits, uh, and then you might have to go track down whether or not those were biopsied as well.
1: So the role of adjuvant chemotherapy in colon, in localized colon cancer is similar to the role of adjuvant chemo in other disease sites. The goal is really to eliminate micro metastatic mm-hmm. disease that's present at the time of surgery. It's really to decrease the recurrence rate at the distant sites.
0: Because the disease is microscopic, there's no way of n- knowing whether or not it's there with our current tools for imaging and our best way of approaching these are to risk stratify patients and, and administer the chemotherapy to those with the highest risk of disease.
1: In colon cancer there's really limited role for adjuvant radiation. Some, there's very small case series looking at this in patients with positive margins or perforation. We're not going to get into this on today's episode.
0: And that's in sharp contrast to rectal cancer which where radiation is a fundamental aspect of treatment. Looking into the actual chemotherapy side of things the story in early colon cancer kind of mirrors, 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 <laughs> mirrors the uh, story in Mastac disease, which is to say the primary treatment was with 5FU, and then later on the benefit of oxaliplatin was shown as well. Just before we get too deep into this, I will mention that our, both our TK, Bevacizumab, and our EGFR inhibitors have been unable to show a benefit in adjuvant management of colon cancer. The reason why uh, Fulfiri has been unable to show a benefit is, is unclear, really, and is one of those lingering questions in the management of this disease. Prior to incorporating chemotherapy into our management of colon cancer, stage 3 disease, which is the same node positive disease, was characterized by a high risk of recurrence, up to 50%. The initial study to show overall survival benefits incorporating chemotherapy to prevent recurrence in stage three disease utilized combination of five FU and Levamisol compared to placebo alone. Also worth noting that levamisol is not u- no longer used in this disease. In the study, the three point five year disease free survival was um, significantly improved with a risk of versus 47%, and the overall survival over that period of time was 70% versus 55%, giving us a relative risk reduction of 30% for recurrence or death.
1: You'll see in many of the adjuvant studies that we use this endpoint of 3.5-year disease-based survival and this has been shown to be what we call a an endpoint for five-year overall survival. So there was a large meta-analysis done with over 20,000 patients called the Accent meta-analysis that showed that patients who can achieve a three-year, 3.5-year disease-free survival are very likely to achieve a five-year overall survival. So this is why this is often used as an endpoint in clinical trials.
0: And yeah, the benefit was proportional. This is in contrast to progression-free survival in the medistax case. If we remember back to our studies that included bevacizumab, they were able to show progression-free survival but not necessarily overall survival. For all studies that are using surrogate endpoints, it's important to know whether or not they've been validated in either clinical trials or meta analysis.
1: Once oxaloplatin came into the fields of metastatic colon cancer, people started to wonder if oxaloplatin, in addition to 5-FU, can also give a benefit as we see in metastatic disease. and. Adjuvant Fulfox was looked at in the MOSAIC trial, which was a pretty large study, had 2,200 patients. 60% of them were stage 3, 40% were stage 2. And this looked at adjuvant 5FU and duxolid platinum in the, actually we should say this, this is a
0: And this was compared to the Ducremont 5FU and Leucovorin, which is our basal bolus regimen. There was another study that also looked at um, five a few and oxaliplatin using a fully bolus regimen flocks that was the NSABP CO7 trial which also showed some benefit but we won't go into that as flocks is not commonly used anymore due to its toxicity so the mosaic trial did show disease free survival and overall survival and this held up to its 6 year uh, follow up analysis where 5-year disease-free survival was increased from 67% with the 5-FU and Leucovorin alone to 73% with the addition of oxaliplatin. There is an overall survival benefit seen in the stage 3 patients, with the 6-year overall survival increased from 70% up to 73%. The hazard ratios for this was 0.8, so roughly a 20% relative improvement in disease-free survival compared to 5-FU alone.
1: Now talking about neuropathy because that can be a significant side effect of oxaliplatin, and especially for patients in the curative setting where you know that you're expecting them to live years and years. So in this study, 13% of patients did have grade three neuropathy. However, after two years, only 0.7% had grade three neuropathy. So the vast majority of them, the neuropathy resolved after completing treatment.
0: And yeah, the only thing I would add to that is grade three neuropathy is quite severe. You know, that's so bad that it's interfering with your ability to do day-to-day activities. There is a higher percentage of patients that have grade 1 or 2 neuropathy, which isn't necessarily going to stop them from doing what they need to do, but can be a day-to-day nuisance. And I do caution patients that they may have some level of neuropathy that can persist. Another thing about the neuropathy, if you remember from our mass act discussion, oxaliplatin neuropathy is typically cold-induced. There is a distinction between cold-induced and room temperature, and it is worthwhile asking patients if they're having neuropathy at room temperature. The room temperature neuropathy has a higher likelihood of becoming long-standing.
1: Now, we said in this trial that 60% of patients have stage 3 disease and 40% have stage 2 disease. Talking about the overall survival benefit, an important thing to note is that this benefit was actually only significant in patients with stage 3 disease. Patients with stage 2 disease had no improvement in the overall survival with the addition of Fulfox. So, similarly, with the metastatic setting, we can use the substitution of capecitabine instead of a 5FU. So, KPOX, XL oxaloplatin, has also been shown to be equivalent to Fulfox in the adjuvant setting. So, when you present the option to patients, you can present Fulfox or KPOX. So, in terms of the timing of adjuvant chemotherapy, we typically allow patients to recover from surgery before starting the chemotherapy, it's very important. There haven't really been many randomized control trials looking at the timing of when you should start the chemotherapy after surgery. It's generally recommended to try to get the chemo in for eight weeks after surgery, or within eight weeks of surgery. Again, there's not really trials looking at this, most of it is retrospective data, which could be biased because patients that had to wait longer than eight weeks probably were more frail, and had more problematic surgeries, which meant that they took longer to recover. So, this could be why they did worse than patients who were treated within eight weeks.
0: Certainly, if someone is medically recovered and, and a candidate for chemotherapy, I wouldn't delay any longer than necessary. But I wouldn't necessarily use a delay past eight weeks as a reason to omit adjuvant chemotherapy. Potentially, when someone's in that recovering from surgery mode, that's a good time to make sure you have all your T's crossed and I's dotted, such as placing your pick line or port line ensuring you have all the necessary blood work and even booking for chemotherapy if you're in a center that might require a week or two to book in advance.
1: So getting into stage 2 disease, and this is, again, a little bit more controversial and many places practice this differently as the data is less convincing for stage 2 disease. Most of the evidence for this is in subgroups from combined trials, such as the Mosaic trial that had both stage 3 and stage 2.
0: Yeah, the MOSAIC trial at the time of follow-up looking at the subgroup of stage 2 patients found the disease-free survival at about six years was around 5%, with a overall survival of 86.9 versus 86.8 using full FOX versus 5FU. The subgroup uh, at the six-year follow-up of MOSAIC trial found an absolute difference of about 5% in disease-free survival for the stage 2 patients the overall survival difference was only six point nine versus eighty six point eight for full Fox versus five FU. There was at least one large randomized controlled trial dedicated to stage two colon cancer. It did end up including a few stage three patients, which was the quasar trial. A drawback of this is they used five FU alone, so it was not in the octali-platin era. And this trial found a five year overall survival benefit of eighty four percent versus eighty one point five percent, giving us a hazard ratio of about zero point eight. There's been some meta-analyses of the cumulative stage 2 patients in randomized trials, and they've also been unable to find this overall survival benefit. However, there have been some high-risk groups that have been identified within the stage 2 disease that have a higher risk of recurrence, and the higher risk of recurrence is thought to have a higher likelihood of benefiting from management chemotherapy.
1: So some of these high-risk patients are patients with T4 tumors, so tumors that are invading into adjacent organs or structures. Again, these patients have pretty poor prognosis and have a high recurrence rate. Some other things we look for are perforation or obstruction, so patients who who present with obstructing tumors. Poorly differentiated tumors also have a higher risk of recurrence. Patients with perineural invasion or lymphovascular invasion. Patients with positive margins. And the last thing would be patients who have inadequate sampling of nodes. So as we said, the goal is to get at least 12 nodes. ASCO actually recommends 13 lymph nodes, but Esmo and NCCN are 12. Um, If you don't have that many lymph nodes at the time of the surgery to look at, then this can also be considered a high risk for the simple fact that we don't know if any of the other lymph nodes would have been positive had they been removed and examined. If you look at the guidelines, ASCO, Esmo, and NCCN all have different definitions of what they consider high risk. Most of them include T4, perineural invasion, lymphovascular invasion, but they all have slight differences.
0: One other high-risk criteria, and I think it's at least one of the, I think it's the NCCM, is uh, elevated preoperative CEA. Worth mentioning that not all high-risk features are created alike. T4 is by far and away the highest risk feature, and uh, T4N0 tumor pertains to a worse prognosis than T3N1. The low lymph node harvest is also quite a significant risk factor. Some of the limitations with poorly differentiated definitions or LVI and PNI is related to the fact that all pathologists have a standardized approach to grading tumors and you may have some pathologists call tumor high grade, another intermediate grade.
1: As I said, these are prognostic factors giving a higher risk of recurrence. There's actually very few studies that look at the benefit of chemo in these patients. So we're kind of assuming or hoping that you'd get additional benefit with adjuvant chemotherapy in these higher risk groups, but there haven't really been many studies to actually show that this is the case.
0: The Mosaic trial tried to break this down, and when they looked at stage 2 patients, those with the high risk, at least one high-risk feature had an inkling of increased overall survival, a 6-year overall survival, increased from 83.3% to 85%, but this was not statistically... They weren't able to look at this from a statistic standpoint because this was not a stratified risk factor.
1: Another thing to note about the Mosaic study is that it's looking at 5-FU and Leucovorin versus fox. so there's no placebo arm, so it's not really answering the question that we sometimes ask ourselves is, you know, is adjuvant chemotherapy necessary? This study is asking if fox is necessary. That's something to think about when you're interpreting the results.
0: One final thing on these risk criterias is that they're cumulative. So someone who has more of these versus someone who has just one of these continues to increase your concern for this disease coming back and may make you more likely to reach for that chemotherapy. Somewhat more recently, the impact of MSI status or deficient MMR status has been found to be helpful for risk stratifying and selecting patients to receive adjuvant chemotherapy. The utility of this is limited to our stage two patients. But if you remember, patients who are MSI high are less likely to benefit from chemotherapy in the first place, and tend to have more tend to have less aggressive colon cancers to begin with. So, a postdoc analysis of MSI high tumors found a better overall prognosis and essentially null benefit of 5-FU-based chemotherapy. In fact, there's maybe a suspicion that survival is worse giving 5-FU-based systemic therapy to stage 2 patients who are deficient in MMR. It's uncertain if this lack of benefit is still relevant if it's a T4 perforated, poorly differentiated disease with less than 12 nodes harvested. Essentially, it's one more tool to add into your pocket to make this difficult decision of uh, whether not to go forward with chemotherapy a little bit easier.
1: There has been interest in genetic profiling, such as the oncotype. Unlike in breast cancer, where the oncotype recurrence score is very heavily relied upon and used to determine if adjuvant chemotherapy is needed. However, right now, it's still in the research phase, and there's really no role for this in standard of care treatment.
0: The one other new emerging prognostic factor I'd also mention is BRAF status, so remember those are more aggressive tumors, and there's some thought of incorporating that into our pathology for earlier stage disease, as a BRAF-positive deficient MMR tumor is going to be more aggressive than a run-of-the-mill colon cancer without any molecular targets, although this has not been a validated marker in clinical trial settings. I think it's important to keep in mind that the margins of benefit in stage 2 disease are narrow, and these should be patient-centered discussions where you provide the evidence, because for someone, 2% overall survival or 3% overall survival over five years is, is going to be something they absolutely want to go through chemotherapy for but this is not necessarily going to be the case for every patient you encounter in the clinic. One of the limitations of our randomized controlled trials are that the majority of patients who were enrolled in these were less than 70 or less than 65 years of age. There had been some thought for you know, our older patients that they may be less likely to benefit from doublet chemotherapy. However, this thought has fallen out of favor more recently, and observational trials as well as seared analyses have found that patients who get full FOX do have better overall survival than those who receive 5-FU alone. Once again, this is retrospective data, so obviously the patients who are fit enough to receive full FOX are going to have better prognosis to begin with than those who are being elected for no chemotherapy or 5-FU alone. But I think the general consensus is that age should not be a cutoff for selecting your adjuvant chemotherapy, and you really have to look at the patient in front of you. It's important to keep in mind, however, that the majority of our survival benefit is has been seen with the 5-FU versus placebo, whereas the oxaliplatin adds a significant but reduced benefit to our therapy. So if you have someone's frail or someone with baseline neuropathy or you're concerned about the toxicities of oxaliplatin, you're still going to be giving them good improvements in reducing recurrence with your single agent, 5-FU, or capecitabine.
1: So as we said, typically we give adjuvant chemotherapy for six months, so either fox or Kpox for six months. There has been a recent trial called the IDEA trial looking at if we can lower this to three months of adjuvant chemotherapy. To try to you know decrease the amount of neuropathy and decrease the amount of time that patients have to get chemo and stay tuned because we're going to be talking about this in our next episode and we'll be doing a deep dive into the idea trial um, so right now you really it's either three or six months of adjuvant chemotherapy now talking about surveillance so once you're done with your adjuvant chemotherapy you know how often are we seeing these people and you know keeping track of if they recur or not. So the most important thing is that you want to make sure that you get a colonoscopy at one year after their surgery. And even more importantly, if a patient presented with a completely obstructing tumor and you can see the full colon at the time of diagnosis, you want to make sure that you get another colonoscopy as soon as you can to make sure that you're not missing any other second primary colon cancer. In terms of imaging, there's several different guidelines from many different groups, you know, ASCO, ESMO, NCCN. NCCN guidelines suggest a yearly... CT, chest, and pelvis, with contrast, for the first five years after diagnosis. In addition, they recommend checking CEA for every every three to six months for two years, then every six months for a total of five years. And same thing with a history and physical exam. So after five years, there's really no need for oncology follow-up, obviously unless there's something concerning or something new on physical exam.
0: Most recurrences occur in the first three years, and very, very few occur after five years. These surveillance guidelines are, are usually for patients who are at high risk for disease recurrence to begin with. So are, either our stage 2 or stage 3, not so much our stage 1, or are very, and there's uncertainty over the low-risk stage 2 disease. Yeah,
1: stage 1, you really only need just that, that colonoscopies periodically. There's really no need for any imaging or checking CEA levels after surgery.
0: So we hope this was hopeful, helpful.
1: Um, I
0: hope this helpful. So we hope this was a helpful overview on the approach to adjuvant management colon cancer. As we'll be discussing with in the breast cancer topics, adjuvant discussions can be some of the hardest discussions we have with our patients. They'll often come to you and their surgeon tells them that they, quote, got it all, and then the patient arrives in our room and we're trying to convince them to take toxic poison for the next six months of their life that could lead to lifelong complications. I think having a good grasp on the risk of recurrence based on their presenting features, utilizing the data we've discussed here, as well as many clinical tools and databases that are available online, such as the ENSMO, uh, such as the ESMO uh, colon cancer recurrence database, can help you be prepared and let the patients know what level of benefit you're offering, what cost this will be to the patient in terms of treatment toxicity.
1: So bottom line, there is pretty good evidence for adjuvant chemotherapy for anyone with stage 3 disease, so that's anybody with lymph node involvement.
0: Yeah, I mean, a 30% reduction of disease recurrence or death for, um, with five of few alone and an additional 20% on top of that with oxaliplatin, I think is a significant yeah. improvement. You know, we're taking people who have a 50% risk of dying within five years from metastatic colon cancer and reducing that to something closer to 70 or maybe even 80% as we look at the long-term outcomes in the IDEA trial.
1: For stage 2 disease, there is less convincing data. However, there have been some subgroups that... We think chemotherapy will reduce the recurrence risk, so surely anyone with a T4 tumor, inadequate sampling of lymph nodes, so less than 12, lymph nodes, perforation, obstruction, perineural invasion, lymphovascular invasion, or anybody with positive margins, are things you want to consider when discussing adjuvant chemotherapy with your stage 2 patients.
0: Speak to those who specialize in colon cancer wherever you may be training and get their input on certain factors that may help them sway one way or the other between observation.
1: And stay tuned for our next episode where we talk about the duration of adjuvant chemotherapy three versus six months in the landmark idea trial.
0: Yeah, I think this will be a good discussion. I think there's a lot of emerging opinions on, on some of the outcomes of this trial, and it's one of the areas of cancer where we're seeing the approach actively evolving. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this is helpful.
1: Thanks for listening. See you guys next episode. I guess we all see you.
0: (laughs) Hope to have you hear us next time.
1: (laughs) For more information, follow us on Twitter at TalkingTumors. Or feel free to email us at talkingabouttumors at gmail.com.
0: Please rate and review the podcast. We really appreciate it.
1: And special shout out to our friend John Kim for all of his musical talents.
0: And he is the composer of the music that you're hearing right now. Talking about tumors is not medical advice.
1: For medical advice, please contact your own healthcare provider.
0: Opinions stated on this podcast are by the Ryan who said it and no one else. We have no financial disclosures, and this is done purely on our own time to the sake of our enjoyment of the field of macro Thank you for listening, and see you next time.